Wouldn't it be great if Christians could talk about the Bible and various issues without fighting or arguing or name-calling? Imagine if we could just sit down, have a cup of coffee, discuss, and even if we disagree, treat each other with respect. That's what this podcast is all about. Kind, loving Christian conversations. It's not a sermon or a Bible class. It's just followers of Jesus talking about life and faith. I hope this show encourages you to have conversations like this with people in your life. I'm Wes McAdams, and I want to welcome you to the Crosstalk Podcast. On each episode, I invite you to listen to a conversation that I have with a friend of mine. But today's episode is a conversation I had with someone who's more than a friend. She's my sister. She served as a missionary in Europe for several years and has a lot of wisdom about the mission of the church in the world. We talk specifically about what it's like being a young, single woman serving as a missionary. I hope you're blessed by this conversation. Okay, so I think, first of all, uh, it would be helpful for us to, to hear what made you decide to take on the life of a missionary. When did you make that decision? How did you make that decision? Uh, sort of what went into you deciding that you wanted to do mission work? Um, I think overall it was a progressive decision. It wasn't this like revelation moment where I was like, I want to be a missionary and there's nothing else. Um, it kind of happened in stages that when I was in high school, I began to see the need. I went to just public high school and um, there weren't a lot of believers in my high school at all. And I mean, you and I were the youth group at church. And so um, I saw that need at school. And when I was in French class, this was a big moment. Um, I was in French class one day and I looked through a French fashion magazine and it was just pornography. And it, it kind of made me realize the need in the world that we have, that, that sin is very prevalent. And, and so I wanted to do something about it. And I knew Jesus was the answer. And so I started looking for ways to get involved and I got involved at church and at camp and, and it's kind of one thing leads to another um, and you pursue what you're interested in. And that's where it led was to missions, if that makes any sense. Um, well, that makes perfect sense. And I, and I think that, I think that that needs to be the motivation that, that more people have uh, for missions. I don't know what motivates everybody, but I don't know that everybody is motivated by what you just laid out. It, and that's the need. Um, that that ought to be what motivates all of us, that that we see the need out there, that we see that people need Jesus, that we know what Jesus has done for us, and that we want to do that for other people. Uh, so, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Right. And whether or not that leads to missions, right? It, it doesn't have to lead to missions for everybody. That's where it led me. But right now I'm in the States, and we're working with a, a local congregation in Oklahoma, and so that's where it's led us now. And 10, 15 years down the road, we'll see where God leads us in that way, but it, it's led us to want to fill that need. And so, well, and that brings up an interesting point. I wouldn't interrupt anybody, but my sister this way, but uh, no, just kidding. I interrupt people all the time. Uh, But, but would you define, I know we're talking about missions in the, you know, traditional sense of, you know, going to another country to tell people about Jesus. So I know we're talking about missions in that in that more traditional sense, but would you define missions more broadly than that? Do you, do you still consider yourself a missionary, even though you and your husband and family are working with the church in Oklahoma? For sure. Um, because missions isn't, it's not where you're at. It's what you do. Yeah. Um, and I love the, the signs that some congregations have in their buildings. When you're leaving their building, you see the sign that says you are now entering the mission field. 
And, and so it's an attitude and it's not about uh, what job you have to earn money to pay your bills. It's about how you see yourself in the kingdom. And I mean, I've always considered our parents to be very mission-minded, to be missionaries where they're at. I mean, they sell candy door to door, but they're always talking to people about the Lord. And so they do mission work where they're at. It's that as you go, tell people about Jesus. Mm. And some people get supported to do that financially so they can do it full time. And some people can support themselves like Paul did making tents to be able to do the work, but it's about the work. And so I, I kind of interrupted your story, and I totally agree with that. I and I think that that's exactly what should drive all of us. This idea that that there there is a huge need in the world. Uh, yes, there's a need in France. There's a need in Europe. There's a need uh, in Africa. There's a need in Asia. There's a need in India. There's a need right here in the United States, um, and wherever it is that we go. So, but that's what you saw. You saw a need um, in in France. You know, you said the the fashion magazine. So, how did you get from from there to ended up being, being a missionary in Europe? Uh, well, I went through the AIM program, which is out of um, Sunset International Bible Institute in Lubbock. And it's a, it's supposed to be a two to three year program um, for college age students. I ended up making it a four year program, but um, you go and you- Because you wanted to, because you wanted to stay on the, on the yeah, field longer. I just stayed longer. Um, yeah. And so- you go and you spend um, eight, nine months in Lubbock studying the Bible and formulating a group of, of teammates. And then they decide uh, with your input, of course, um, where to send you to work. And some of those fields are stateside and some of them are abroad. Uh, and they ended up sending me to France. And that's where I wanted to go. And I was really blessed to get the field that I wanted. Um, but that's how I actually got on the field was as an apprentice to work with the missionary there. And then you came, remind me, it's, it's been, it's been a few years, but so you, you came back from France and then went back to the missions program at sunset and then went to Scotland. Almost. Um, I, I was in France for three years and then I came back and I went to sunset and I went through their bachelor's program. Um, and then after that I went through missions with the team that we had built, um, which is another, uh, five months and then moved to Scotland. Okay. And then how long were you in Scotland? For five years. So in all of that time, so you spent what, nine years almost in Europe? About eight. Yeah. Eight years. Okay. So, so in eight years, what are, what are some of the, you know, just talk to us about your experiences just in Europe in general, or I mean, specific experiences or more generalized. I mean, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about the Lord? What did you learn about uh, Europe? Uh, what did you learn about American culture when you had the contrast of being able to contrast it with European culture? What, what, what were just some of your experiences and what did you learn as you went through that, that experience? Oh, those are big questions. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to make it general so that you can go any direction you want to. Um, well, I mean, I was 19 when I moved over there. And so most 19-year-olds are learning themselves and dealing with things like pride and arrogance and how to just how to live and how to be who you are and learning more about who God is. And I learned a lot. And I had some really great missionaries in France to help guide me spiritually. 
um, but also to help me see what what is needed as a teacher of the gospel, if that makes sense. Um, I learned a lot of humility, a lot of humility. Um, part of that comes from living outside your own cultural bubble and having to learn a different culture, uh, having to learn a different language. And when you go to a place where you don't speak the language, uh, you're an infant again. And the first time I answered the telephone, I was hoping it was an American or somebody spoke English and they didn't. And I couldn't say, um, they wanted to talk to my roommate, Jill. And I needed to say, Jill's in the shower. And I was like, Jill, water. Um, and I couldn't <laughs> communicate at all. And so yeah. you just feel so inadequate. Um, and even in Scotland, understanding the way people think is very, the way people think in each culture is different. And so you might speak English, but you might not be speaking the same language. Mm. And so being able to put yourself on the back burner and listen and understand people is, is something I learned some of, and I'm not done learning (laughs) by any means. Um, and, and you see God in a completely different way, I think, when you travel abroad, because you realize that he doesn't just love you and your culture, but he loves everybody and where they're at too. And so he not only loves the middle-class American, he loves the, the gypsy woman at the Eiffel Tower who's trying to con you out of money. He loves everybody. And so you get to see different people in different circumstances and how they live their lives. And, and church is different. Um, the songs they sing are different. Um, maybe their structure's a little different. We had church at two o'clock in the afternoon in France. Um, and so it's just, things look a little different, if that makes sense. And so you learn that the Bible's what is important and the scripture is important and that your culture isn't. Did you find that, you know, and I know this is a maybe a tough question, and I hate to put you on the spot with this one, but but did you find that that what resonated with people um, as far as non-Christians is different than what resonates with sort of the way that we try to teach people the gospel? Um, I, you, you touched on the idea that we think differently in different cultures, and I don't think that those of us that have sort of been in an Amer- in an American bubble, I don't know that we realize that. We know that people speak a different language, uh-huh. but the idea that they think differently, that they're motivated by different things, uh-huh. um, I, I, I don't know that that necessarily has occurred to many of us, uh, uh-huh. that, that there are people in the world that are motivated by different things, that different things resonate with them differently than they resonate with us, that things that motivate us may not motivate them at all, and uh-huh. things that motivate them, you know, and vice versa. So, so did you find that, that people in the, in the culture, in the community, that when you were trying to teach them the gospel, um, or when other people were studying with them and trying to teach them the gospel, that, that there were things that resonated with them that might not have resonated with American non-Christians or the other way around? That's, that's so, that's so broad. Right. Uh, I'm thinking of the individuals that I studied with, I studied with Muslims and I studied with Catholics and I've studied with um, people who would say that they're believers of Jesus, but they don't associate with any type of church. 
Um, I've studied with people who are followers of revelation and spirituality. Um, I, I mean, it's a very broad spectrum. And so when I'm thinking yeah. of those individuals, something different resonates with each of them. Yeah. Um, I, with, with my friend who is Catholic, we talked a lot about Mary's power versus Jesus's power. And that's really what stuck out to her was that when she prayed to Mary, nothing happened. But when she prayed to Jesus, she saw results. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's different for each individual. Um, and so it's, it's not just a matter of the culture in general, but it's getting to know the, the, the people on an individual basis. And I think that's true in the States too. Yeah. That, you know, my neighbor that lives on our right is going to be very different than our neighbor that lives on our left and getting to know who they are and why they think the way they do. And in the States, you have the contrast, and I see it on Facebook a lot, the contrast between people on the East Coast and the West Coast versus the people in the in the Central States and how they think and what they value and uh, why they value that is different. But then each individual person is different too, depending on where they've come from. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a good lesson for any of us that that want to share the gospel with anybody that that you have to treat people like individuals right. and so often we try to make you know large blanket you know statements about entire races of people or uh, cultural groups of people whatever that may be in a nation or a city or a region or whatever and we try to make these large and and there are generalizations that you can make and I, I think we'll probably make some generalizations in this conversation and I think that's helpful at times yeah. uh, but if you're going to share the gospel with somebody then you have to listen to them and I think that that's one problem that we often have is that we we like to talk and we like to tell people what's true yeah. uh, but we don't always always listen and and find out where is this person and what kind of things are they looking for and, and what are their hopes and fears and dreams and, and how can we connect those to the gospel? Right. And what matters to them too. Yeah, exactly. So you, you were in a unique situation and that's one reason I wanted to talk to you in this conversation was because you, a lot of times when we think about missionaries, we typically, speaking of generalizations, uh, you know, a lot of times when we think about missionaries, we think about a missionary couple. Um, and so we, we often think about a man and a woman and they're, they're married and uh, maybe they've got a kid on the way or they don't have kids yet or whatever, and they go off to the mission field. And that's sort of what we have in mind when we think about a missionary. Uh -huh. uh, but you you didn't fit that mold. You know, you were a young um, woman, single young woman, um, and you went not only for the AIM program, which, you know, I mean, that was sort of, like you said, you know, what, a year and a half that it was going to be initially? Yeah. So, you know, you were going to be there a year and a half, but but your missionary, you know, time um, spanned a lot longer than that. Eventually you got married, but you began working as a missionary um, with the AIM program and then even as a part of the team that went to Scotland as a young single woman. Oh. Um, and so what were some of the unique challenges and unique struggles, maybe even or obstacles that you faced um, as a young single woman uh, going onto the mission field? Um. Well, even I, this would speak to men too, but loneliness is yeah. probably the biggest one. Um, when I moved to France, I was the only girl on my team. Um, and I moved in with uh, another girl and we were, we lived together for six months, but then she left. And then I got a team of four other girls, plus one of the 
the women who had become a Christian moved in with us. So I had five roommates, but then they all left. And so I was kind of constantly in this transition stage with roommates. Um, and nobody had been there as long as I had and had the same memories I had. And so it, it's lonely. Um, and I think most young single people want to be married. And there's not very many prospects on the mission field just because there's not many Christian men in Europe. Um, and so my my prospects of marriage weren't very big. Um, and so loneliness is huge for any single person on the mission field, I think. Yeah. What about as a as a woman? I mean, were there were there questions about even from because you raised support uh, not only to to go on in the mission field, but even to study at Sunset and at AIM, and so you raised support from from individuals and from congregations. I mean, was there was there questions about uh, you know? I, I'm only asking you this because I know you really well and I know the answer to the question already. But but talk about some of the the thoughts that people would would think or even express to you about uh, a single woman being on the mission field and whether or not they should support your work. Well, I, I'm sure I've told you this story before, but I sat down with some of the elders who'd been supporting me for a few years to give them a report on what I was, what I was going to be doing. And I told them, you know, I was going back to the field and they said, well, you're a woman. What are you going to do on the mission field? <laughs> well, shouldn't you have asked me this a few years ago when you started supporting me? Um, but I just told them, I said, 50% of the population are women. Um, I'll work with them. You know, that the women need women to work with them and to share the gospel with them. And so, but there are those questions. What are women going to do? Because men can preach. And I think we have, we have this concept in the church sometimes that the work of the church happens on Sunday mornings. And that the work of the church is preaching and leading singing and leading prayers Whereas the work of the church is, it's Sunday through Saturday, and yeah. it happens around a dinner table, and it it happens in those one-on-one conversations. The work of the church, especially evangelism, is very rarely happens on Sunday morning. Um, I'm not saying that that preaching isn't evangelistic because it can be, um, but a lot of the time, all of those seeds have been planted and watered in conversations during the week. Um, and so helping people understand how valuable it is to have somebody who's willing to go and meet people and have those conversations and cook them a meal and invite them over, um, that that's mission work and that women can do that just as easily as men. And sometimes single women and single men can do that easier than families can, because just like Paul said, married people are concerned about things of this world. As a married person, I find it harder to do mission work in a way because I've got lunch and dinner to cook and I've got laundry to do and I've got kids to take care of. And as a single person, if my laundry didn't get done, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'll do it later. Or I could stay up till three in the morning and do it because I didn't have to get up to take care of kids. Um, but it's it's trying to educate people about the value of a single woman on the mission field. That's the hardest part, uh, I think, of raising the support. And as a single yeah. woman, you don't get the opportunity to stand up in front of the congregation and preach a sermon and show them your knowledge in that way or show them how effective your teaching can be in that public display. And so you really have to have an advocate. Somebody say, she's worth it, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. Well, and you know, and and I don't want this to be a discussion about women's roles specifically, but, but it is always interesting to me because I, I, sometimes I get pushed back, you know, from people that, that sort of, you know, are advocating for more expanded roles for women in the church and those kind of things. Um, and, and people that think that, well, Wes, you just don't get it. You don't understand because you're a guy, but I love the fact that I have three very outspoken sisters. Um, I have a mother who's a very outspoken woman, um, but all are incredibly effective. I would use the word ministers in the church, but who also hold to the position that I believe is scriptural and biblical, um, that that in the assembly, that a woman shouldn't take a teaching or, or leadership uh, position. Uh, so I love the fact that you, you four, my three sisters and my mother, um, have all been in, in your own ways incredibly effective at at sharing the gospel and being forces for good in the church and in the community um, and, and are doing amazing work for the Lord. So I think that there's really like this false dichotomy that says, well, either you just have to be like a, a wallflower and not say or do anything as a woman. You just don't have any, any you know, uh, you can't be effective for the kingdom or on the other hand, you have to be a preacher on Sunday mornings. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not those two things. You, there's so much more and there's so much ministry that I've seen firsthand by watching all three of you and, and mom as well uh, do ministry as women in, in various ways, things in which, like you said, that I couldn't do as a man. You guys can minister to people. You guys, <laughs> you, you women can minister to, to people and minister in situations that, that I I can't because I, I'm not I'm not who you are. You have a specific um, and unique role in the kingdom that that I don't have. Well, and and I think God formulated it that way on purpose. That that if we are willing to take the position that He's given us, we can do so much. And sometimes it takes humbling yourself and saying, "I don't have to say this." God will, if it is, if it's that important to be said in the assembly, God will take it. God will make sure it gets said. And he, he always does. If I have something that I feel like needs to be said, one of the men usually steps up and says it. And I feel good about having shut my mouth, but <laughs> it's, it's again, I think it's that misconception that the work of the church goes on on Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, and it, it doesn't, the work of the church goes on every day of the week. And Women are a huge part of that. Women have a, a tendency towards hospitality. As a woman, I can invite people over to my house um, in a way that a man couldn't. and Because it would be a little strange if a single man invited a bunch of teenage girls over. It'd probably be very inappropriate, actually. But right. I can invite all the teenage girls over here and talk to them about things. Um, and that's a door that I have that men don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and you know, and again, and I just want to say publicly how much I appreciate the ministry that you have always done and that, that our sisters and our mother have always done, um, and our father as well, but I'm specifically talking about, about women and, um, and you really, really, um, 
are just powerful forces for good um, in the kingdom of God. And and it it just it, I'm proud to know you guys, to know y'all, um, and and the work that you guys do, uh, both on the mission field, you know, foreignly for, and foreign mission fields, and and what you're doing now uh, domestically or in this country. Um, but but you brought up the idea of misconceptions, the idea of you know the the misconception that church and the work of the church happens on Sundays and not throughout the week. Um, but I'm I'm curious to kind of pick your brain about um, other misconceptions or ways that we think specifically about about missions and how we handle missions and how we think about missions um, in this country. You you got to experience it um, as a single person um, in your formative years, and you got to experience it um, as a married couple when you and Tommy first got married um, in mission work, and now you're able to experience it stateside, you know, you're able to, to experience it on sort of the local level. Um, what, what do you think are some of the, the misconceptions or the ideas or the ways that we handle um, missions typically? And again, we're making generalizations, but um, in a general way that, that maybe we should rethink or, or change the way that we handle things sometimes. Um, the two big ones that come to mind are, first off, um, finances. And secondly, um, decision-making. And with the finances, what I mean is a lot of the times when people support missionaries, they think that they're sending a check to buy Bibles. When in reality, their, their money, unless somebody's given you a broken down budget of your check actually went to our work fund, then we purchased Bibles with it. If you're sending a check to support a missionary, you're paying their salary. And what that means is you're paying for their housing and you're paying for their electricity bill, and you're paying for that missionary, if they're married, for that man to take his wife on a date, hopefully once a week. Um, And that's a very good thing because those missionaries need to be nurtured um, because if they're not in a good place in their marriage or in a good place spiritually, individually, then they're not going to be effective missionaries at all. Um, If a missionary doesn't um, spend time with his family, spend time with his wife, then he's not going to be a good example to the people he's trying to minister to. Um, so that paying for self-care is one of those things that on the other side, you definitely never want to announce. I never wanted to put on Facebook. I took a day off because I was afraid my supporters would think, well, I'm not paying you to take a day off. I'm paying you to teach the gospel. Um, and you feel guilty almost for doing something like taking a day off or, taking a week off to go somewhere or um, going to the movies and spending money to go to the movies. Um, You never wanted to advertise that because you didn't want anybody to get the idea that you were on a holiday, that you were just taking a vacation and using their money to go gallivant around Europe for eight years. And, And so I think there's that misconception that missionaries aren't real people who have real needs and have to take care of themselves too. Um, and I think sometimes that gets mixed in with the church in the States too, that even though the preacher lives, um, locally and people get to see what they're doing locally, sometimes it's the same misconception that we're paying you to be a preacher. We're not paying you to take vacations. Um, and then when I, I said decision-making, I think sometimes missionaries, partner with congregations that either one say, do whatever you want, we'll write you a check. And the missionaries 
can fall into a place where they get discouraged and they stop working because nobody cares. Nobody mm-hmm. cares what I do anyways. And this is hard and I just want, don't want to do it. Or they, um, they partner with a congregation that makes every decision for them that says, here's your schedule and here are the people you need to be talking to. And this is where you need to get your building. And this is where you need to do this. And the American elders um, over decide for the missionary when the missionary should be the one who's on the field saying, okay, it needs to be this way for these reasons. And I know you don't understand that, but you're not here. (laughs) Um, And so there needs to be this, a balance between respecting your missionary and being able to um, trust him and make uh, allow him to make the decisions he needs to make, but also that accountability that says, what did you do this month? Who have you been talking to? Tell us how that's going. Be honest with how those studies went. Because sometimes you go to a Bible study and it blows up in your face and it's the worst Bible study you've ever had. And you feel like the person walked away not knowing anything about Jesus when you thought they knew quite a bit. Um or it turns into a fight. And we've had that before. Um, and so you need to partner with congregations or congregations need to partner with missionaries in a way that supports them, um, keeps them accountable, but doesn't um, make all the decisions for them, but trusts them to be able to do their job. Well, I think you said a couple of words that are so important. And I think so many times it's not necessarily about semantics, but, but, our vocabulary uh, sometimes helps us to think about things in the right way. And it, you used the word support. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such a, a, a healthy way to think about the money that we give to those that are working locally, preachers and uh, preachers and youth ministers and those kind of things that are our, our local ministry staff. And we think about it as support mm-hmm. and we think about the, the money that we send to missionaries as support. We're supporting them. We're supporting their, their livelihood. Mm-hmm. We're taking care of them. We're providing a roof over their head. We're providing them funds to take vacations and take care of themselves, to really think about it as we are financially supporting them so that they can preach the gospel. And that's how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9. But when we think about it like paying a salary, you know, then sometimes we have this unhealthy view, like like it's employer and employee type of a status. Um, I think it's so much better to think of it as support. And then you said, partner. And I think that's such a healthy word. Um, when we really see it was when an eldership and a, and a missionary or an elder and a minister or whatever it is, um, sees it as a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a healthy way to think of it as, as opposed to thinking of it as, you know, like a board of directors and, and an employee or something like that. Um, I think it's so, so important to respect the, the thoughts and the feedback of the missionary. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, see, the elders role in, in helping to oversee that work and help the work and encourage the work and understand what's going on, the good and the bad. Sometimes I think elderships and congregations, all they get are the positives. They, They get a mission report and the missionary feels like they have to, you know, give all these pictures and all this data of just awesome stuff that's going, mm-hmm. that's going on on the mission field. And sometimes it it might not accurately reflect the actual day to day mundane and the actual day to day heartbreak of working with people. If you work with people, you're going to have Bible studies, like you said, and you're going to have disappointment. You're going to have more disappointment than you are um, things to celebrate, probably. Oh yeah. And that's life and ministry. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's life in general too. Yeah. Oh yeah. For everybody. Yeah. Um, so, so if somebody, you know, is thinking about, or maybe, maybe they're not even thinking about it, you know, I, I wonder how well we, uh, encourage, especially young people to even consider, uh, mission work. Um, I, I don't know that we, we can, we encourage that enough. We encourage them to go get a job or join the military or, you know, go to school, you know, get, get your degree, whatever. And, um, you know, pursue this career. And there really doesn't seem to be a whole lot of encouragement towards young people, uh, to consider mission work. But if you were going to encourage young people or, or maybe even people that, you know, are retired or people that are looking for a, a lifestyle change, um, what would, would you encourage people to, to take that leap and to, to consider going, moving abroad somewhere, um, and working in some sort of mission effort, or would you, con- what would you consider, what would you encourage people to consider, or what would you say to people that might be thinking about that or to consider thinking about it? Um, I would say fill the need where you're at. Uh, yeah. And if you're, if you're doing the job where you're at, take the next step. Um, and, and what I mean by that is if, if there's a young person that says I'm really interested in doing mission work, but I've never seen them ever invite anybody to church or talk about Jesus or be interested in spiritual things, I'm going to say maybe mission work isn't the right place for you. Yeah. Um, but if I see somebody who is talking about Jesus, who is sharing with their friends, who is, who's wanting to get involved. Somebody's like, can I help teach the kids class? Can I, how can I serve? How can I be part of this? I say, I, I think you might be interested in, in going and working with a full-time missionary or, or being an intern somewhere or something like the AIM program. Um, because a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of young people want to travel and want to grow spiritually or they just want to know more about the world or more, know more about people. And those are all wonderful pursuits, but I don't think that's the beginning of mission work. Um, I think the beginning of mission work is, is wanting to fill the need and being willing. If God, if God sends you to Timbuktu, be willing to go. If God sends you to France or Scotland, awesome. Be willing to go or Florida or in your local congregation to clean the toilets um, that's mission work. You know, it's, it's how you treat your neighbor. It's, it's not about whether or not you can go see the world. Um, and I'm, I'm blessed to have gotten to travel and I, I'm grateful that I've gotten to see some of the things in the world. But honestly, once you get to another country after about three weeks, it wears off and it doesn't matter that you live a block away from a castle. It's just a castle. And the Eiffel Towers, it's just the Eiffel Tower. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but if if you live in New York City, it's just the Empire State Building. It's not that big of a deal. Or, you know, it's it just becomes life. It's not a tourist attraction anymore. Uh, it becomes about the people. And if you're not willing to serve the people that you live with now, then going to another country isn't going to make a difference. But if what you want to do is serve and tell people about the Lord then see what doors open up and, and pursue those doors, pursue, pursue submissions because people who are willing to serve and willing to tell people about the Lord are needed everywhere. And if you want to do that full time, awesome, because the need is great. 
and I, I look at the church in, in Europe, there are so few congregations there and there are so few full-time workers. They need people. They need people to, to help them and to come over and be willing to, to just serve. And I'm sure that need is present in all the countries in the world. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, I want to share with you two ways that you can help support what we're trying to do. The first is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast to help others discover the show. The second way you can help is by checking out Logos Bible Software. Logos has partnered with us to give our listeners a great discount. So go to radicallychristian.com slash Logos, L-O-G-O-S. I think you'll love the software and you'll get a great discount by using that link. As always, I love you, God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.